So for a few of us this morning, a video about the struggle with pornography might, you know, it might hit a little too close to home. The stats on how many uh, people struggle with uh, porn are staggering. Uh, like the majority of guys even here this morning at one time or another, and lots of women as well. And sadly, some never win the fight. So yeah, a bit of an uncomfortable way to launch today's message, but I do it to say, if you follow Jesus, you have the ultimate resource to win the battle inside of you, whatever it is you're battling. That video might have been uncomfortable and even depressing for some, but today, this message, there's hope. And uh, the battle that so overwhelms you, the battle within friends, it is a winnable battle. Okay, <clears throat> for the last month or so, we've been describing the Christian life as a battle, as a fight. Hey, the Christian life is not easy. The Christian life is not all come to Jesus and all your troubles will go away. No, the Christian life is all about having Jesus with you. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, who was able to empower you to win battles that want to destroy your life. We talked about that last week. This week, we're going to jump uh, into the Apostle Paul's personal pain with his internal battles. And then next week, we're going to see how Paul himself turned around and experienced the victory he so longed for. So this week, sorry, it might be more depressing than next week, but we need this. A dose of reality, you can handle it. So we'll start by all getting depressed together, and then we'll grab onto hope. That's the plan, okay? Well, I was born in a small northern Ontario town, North Bay. A lot of my growing up was in the Toronto, the southern Ontario area, and try not to hold that against me too much. But my dad, uh, he grew up in what we would call, he was a, a railway home. He worked for CN Rail and, uh, in Halifax, and he became a sales manager ultimately for a, a larger multinational corporation in Toronto. And so one of the things that I experienced growing up in Toronto and really the burbs of Toronto, and, and this is a gross overgeneralization, okay, but still it was my experience, that people, you know, of the affluent burbs of Toronto do all that they can to hide their problems, to put on masks and just pretend that everything is honky-dory, A-okay, no worries. Again, I get that it's a gross overgeneralization, but it was my experience. My, my first pastoral position was in a very affluent part of the greater Toronto area in Unionville, in the Markham-Unionville area just north of Toronto. And I think this part of Ontario perfected wearing masks. You never admitted that you were struggling. You never admitted that you didn't have your act together. You never admitted that you might be addicted or experiencing sexual mess or you name it. You put on a plastic smile and you told everyone you were okay, especially, especially if you went to church. What, what I saw was that as you moved up the corporate ladder, you became less and less real, less authentic, and you looked as strong as you could. You pretended that you had it all together, as a pastor, I found it hard to break through and help people actually experience the power of Jesus for themselves when they were wearing masks. I later moved to Thunder Bay, a hard-working, resource-based city at the top of the Great Lakes, a somewhat isolated part of our country. My dad wasn't one bit surprised when I made the move. Even though I went west, I think he saw it like going back east, going back to our family roots in Nova Scotia and Newfoundland, going back to where people in his mind are real, raw, honest, and will tell you when they've messed up. And when I moved to Thunder Day, Dad said, oh man, you're never going to want to come back to Toronto. And maybe he's right. But anyways, Thunder Bay was incredibly refreshing. 
there were far fewer masks. And hey, I shot my first game animal there, a moose, yes. And for some reason, a dead moose made me more easy to relate to to the average guy in Thunder Bay, and I loved it. It was about eight years ago when leadership here at Fort City started to talk to me about coming to Fort McMurray. As things turned out, while I was having these conversations with Fort City, I was asked to become the dean of uh, Briarcrest Seminary, New Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. From a career path point of view, Briarcrest made a huge amount of sense. But I agreed to come here after consulting work. Uh, uh, you know, I agreed to come here not to pastor, but I agreed to do a little bit of consulting work for the church. I had no intention of becoming the pastor, but as many of you know, pretty quickly after flying into the city, I was hooked. Right away, on that very first visit to this city, I met some guys uh, who were real and authentic about their life experiences, at least a couple of guys here, who were really raw about the pain they were experiencing, the drugs they were taking, the sex they were enjoying or not enjoying, and the mess their lives were becoming. Raw, real, no masks. And a couple of these guys, they barely knew me, but were quick to open up to this visiting pastor from Thunder Bay. And because most guys here did not come with masks on, they... They were just open to letting God work in ways that I just didn't see happen as quickly, especially in Toronto. And it was this authentic, real, raw, no-mask approach to life that really captured me on my first visit to this city. And at the same time, as I'm here, I'm thinking about Briarcrest, which is a great school, awesome school. It's part of a town called Karenport. And at the time, Karenport was an almost all-Christian town. Heaven, right? Maybe. I actually remember the first drug bust that ever happened in Karenport. Like, it was just shock to everyone. But they weren't a Christian family, so that excused them. And uh, now, it, it wasn't that I couldn't do things in Karenport, like go out and shoot deer. People were okay with that. In fact, I took my first deer near Mortlock, Saskatchewan, which is quite close to Karenport. And my story of taking that deer was part of the reason why everyone at Brewer Cross felt I would be a great fit to live there. So... When you're going to be dean of the seminary and ultimately responsible to prepare young men and women at both the seminary and college level for service as pastors and other positions of service, you got to act the part. Pretty quickly, I felt like I was being given a mask to put on. If I was going to be a senior leader at Briarcrest, there was a mask that some people thought that I should be wearing. And I sensed there was a little bit of fear among a couple of key people there that I might not put that mask on quite right or at all. Now, granted, there were a whole pile of people that wanted to hire me because they knew that I wouldn't be anything but myself and that I wouldn't put on the mask. Still, there was this little tension that you could feel behind the scenes. Fear that I wouldn't put the mask on. You know how you try to avoid the elephant in the room, right? Well, the mask was the elephant. I call it the good boy, I've got it all together, church mask. And a lot of churches want their pastors to put that mask on too, right? When I came to Fort McMurray, one of the first things I realized was I didn't need the mask here. No one else was wearing it, and there was not a whole lot of respect for people who wore masks. And for me, this was awesome. I could just be who I am, a flawed leader, on occasion a little rough around the edges, not too rough, but someone who loves Jesus, but imperfectly. You know, Fort McMurray is a city where anyone is welcome just as they are. No need for masks. I love it. Or should I say, I loves it. (laughs) And hey, 
I've never lived in a city where there's so many people, guys and gals, who hunt and fish and quad and love the outdoors, love the shooting sports on top of uh, all of the rest of the things that our country loves, like hockey, football, baseball, basketball. Like if I accepted every invitation to get out and play hard in our awesome outdoors, I could be out every day, every week, all year long, and that would be awesome. I keep telling the board that I, I want to shift that seven days on, seven off, kind of like some of you have around here, you know, normal people, so I can go out and play more. That's not going to happen. I, I, I tell them that that's why we hired Lo Lucas, but still, no. But one of the things that I do get away with here in Fort McMurray that doesn't happen as easily in other cities, especially larger urban centers, is when I'm sitting down with someone and, and I'm looking them in the eye, I, I can pretty quickly say, I hear you. The biggest problem in your life is you. Without trying to be diplomatic, I just kind of say it. You are your own worst enemy. Let's talk about that. I say this to a lot of people. That a lot of the message you're struggling with is your own doing. I don't mean it in a condemning way. Not at all. It's just the truth. And I find people don't get as offended as quickly here with that. They don't. They, a lot of people just like their truth kind of head on. Back in 1970, before a, a lot of you were born here, Walt Kel Kelly, he's a, a famous cartoonist back then, had a pogo cartoon that became an icon that was used over and over again in a lot of different memes. It, it said, we have met the enemy, and he is us. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, we have met the enemy, and he is us. Well, it was that pogo cartoon that made that phrase famous, and it's true. I'm... Doug Doyle, I am my biggest problem, and you're your biggest problem. It's true. And I can get away with saying that a little bit more here in Fort McMurray because so many people just get it. Okay, some Christians, even here in Fort McMurray, have a little game they play, and they like to shift the blame onto Satan, who, yes, is alive and well and pushing you to make a mess of your life if you let him. Satan is a reality that we have to contend with, but most of the time, Satan doesn't have to worry about tempting you because you're doing just fine messing up your life all on your own, right? Because most of the time, I mean, Satan just doesn't have to think about you because you're doing such a great job of screwing up your life all on your own. Okay, that might sound a bit harsh even for Fort McMurray, but it's true. Now, here in Fort McMurray, as honest as we can be about the mess in our lives, I hear this all the time. Doug, I've got so much stress from this jerk of a boss and, and I've got so much stress from the kids and I've got so much going on from all of these things and, and I've got all of these problems in my life. I need a break. Like, got to go to Hawaii or something. The problem is, you take you to Hawaii. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that there isn't a morsel of truth here, right? But, but you are your own worst enemy. When you got to get away from it all, you take you with you. You can't get away from you, right? You say, I don't get it. All of my relationships suck. And you move from one relationship to another relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship. And you ask, why do I have such bad relationships? Well, what's the common denominator in all of that? You, right? You're the common denominator. We have met the enemy and he is us. Something has to change in you first. Apostle Paul, he wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. God used him powerfully to help launch this new movement of Christ followers called the church. But Paul struggled. He struggled big time with living the Christian faith. He struggled with stuff that was going on inside of him. And what I love about Paul is how real and raw he is about his struggle. 
He doesn't put on a mask. He doesn't say, look at me. I'm the Apostle Paul. I I wrote all of these great books of the Bible. I planted all of these churches all over the Roman world. I am Mr. Super Christian. No. He he takes a gut-wrenching, keep-it-real kind of approach to what he writes, and he just doesn't sugarcoat his words. He's honest about his own struggles. He's, He's totally upfront about the frustration he feels. Follow along as I read the words he wrote to the church in Rome. This is the seventh chapter of the New Testament book of Romans, starting at the 15th verse. It's a fairly complicated and long passage, so to help make it as clear as possible, I'll be reading from the Living Bible. All right, Paul says, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to do, what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong and my bad conscience proves that I agree with the laws I'm breaking, but I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It is sin inside of me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. Now, let me just take a break here and explain what Paul is saying. He's saying, I don't want to gossip, but I end up doing it. I don't want to be impatient, but I end up being impatient. I don't want to say bad, hurtful things to my kids, but I do. I know I ought to take better care of my health, but I don't. I don't want to get so angry all the time, but I do. And Paul goes on to point out that the sin that is inside of you, inside of me, inside of himself, is so often stronger than we are. And it leads Paul to do these things. And so Paul says, I know. I am rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Now, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it is plain where the trouble is. Sin still has me in its grip. Paul seems actually to be a little bit discouraged here, like, am I going to change or what? What's going on? It, It seems to be a fact of life that When I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned, but there is something else deep within me in my lower nature that is at war with my mind and wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. In my mind, I want to be God's servant, but instead I still find myself enslaved to sin. Paul keeps going. So you see how it is? My new life tells me to do right, you know. But my old nature that is still inside of me loves to sin. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Who will free me from my slavery to this deadly lower nature? Thank God. It has been done by Jesus Christ our Lord. He has set me free. So do you feel those words at all? I mean, the Apostle Paul is pretty frustrated. He's bearing his soul to us. He's explaining the battle that we all go through, the battle we go through when we try to live the Christian life in our own strength, when we try to win the battles in our lives all by ourselves. And remember, this is missionary church planter Paul, Paul the Bible writer, St. Paul. So if Paul experiences struggle with some internal stuff, some dark stuff, you and me, we got those battles too. You okay with that? You got your mask off? Are you able to identify with any of this? Can you admit it? Okay, and in this part of Paul's writing that we're looking at, 
he, he starts to tell us about the damage all of this is doing to us, the emotional carnage. And at this point, I, I want to acknowledge Rick Warren for some ideas I'm using for this message. So Paul, in this confession that he writes, he first talks about the confusion that he experiences. I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to do, what I hate. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. And I'm still messing up. And my life, it gets a bit dark at times. What's going on? I'm confused. I, I don't understand. And then as Paul continues to write, we see that confusion turns into guilt and shame. I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong. And my bad conscience proves that I agree with these laws I'm breaking. Come on, have you ever felt that? You know perfectly well what you're doing is wrong, but you do it anyways, right? And now you're rocked with guilt and shame. Friends, God doesn't want you going around with a bunch of guilt and shame ripping you apart, but that's what happens when you try to fight your battles with human tools, like with willpower alone. You feel confused. And then that just produces guilt and shame. And then that guilt and shame left unchecked goes further and it gets darker and it morphs into compulsions and addictions. And really what Paul says next, and this is kind of my own take on this, this is kind of essentially what I think Paul is saying. He says, if I do these bad things enough, you know, if I keep doing them, I, I get addicted to them. Paul writes, but I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It is sin inside of me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. Paul says, hey, I got great intentions, but just can't seem to pull it off. Nothing changes. Again, any of you identify? Friends, it's because you're human. You've got a human nature. It's a fallen nature. It has sin in it. You've had it from birth. And it pushes against doing what you know is right. Let's go with what's fun for the moment or what's easy or what's comfortable or quick and, or whatever quickly relieves the pain. What Paul is talking about is the battle between your new nature that God gives you when you make the decision to follow Jesus, but your old nature sticks around. And there is this fight for supremacy within you. Old sinful patterns that destroy versus a new life set free by Jesus. And it's a fight. And as you fight that battle all on your own and fail, well, that just leads now to a cycle of self-condemnation Paul says, I know I'm rotten inside as far as my old nature is concerned. And that self-condemnation spirals down into deeper frustration. I think that's the, yeah, I think that's the mark of a follower of Jesus trying to live in their own power instead of with God's power. You just get frustrated. Again, listen to Paul as he expresses this frustration. Really, it's agonizing. No matter which way I turn, I, I, I can't make myself do right. I, I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Now, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it's plain where the trouble is. Sin still has me in its grip or in its evil grasp in some translations. Okay. I know some of you read kids' books, right? You got it. And I don't know if any of you have read Arnold Lobo's kids' books. I'm talking about the Frog and Toad series. They were really popular a few years back. Not sure they're as popular today, but while they're a little older, they're still in print, and you can buy them through Amazon. And there's, little, there's this little story called Cookies that's from the book Frog and Toad Together. It's a story about friendship and the lessons friends learn together. 
So let me read you a kid's story today, okay? Because sometimes kids' books really rock and drive home the point better than anywhere else. This one sure does. So let me read. You ready? Kid's story time. Toad made some cookies, right? These cookies smell really good, said Toad. I ate one and they tasted even better, he said. So Toad ran over to Frog's house. Frog, Frog, cried Toad, taste these cookies that I've made. Frog ate one of the cookies. These are the best cookies I've ever eaten, said Frog. Frog and Toad ate many cookies, one after another. You know, Toad, said Frog with his mouth full, I think we should stop eating. We will soon be sick. You are right, said Toad. Let's eat one last cookie. Then we will stop. So Frog and Toad ate one last cookie. But there were very many cookies still left in the bowl. Frog said, Toad, let's eat one very last cookie. And then we will stop eating cookies. Frog and Toad ate one very last cookie. We must stop eating, cried Toad, as he ate another. Yes, said Frog, reaching for a cookie. We need willpower. What is willpower, asked Toad. Frog said, willpower is trying hard not to do something that you really want to do. You mean like trying not to eat all these cookies, asked Toad. Right, said Frog. Frog put the cookies in a box. There, said Frog. Now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can open the box, said Toad. This is true. So Frog tied some strings around the box. There, he said, now we'll not eat any more cookies. But Toad said, we can cut the string and open the box, right? That is true, said Frog. So Frog got a ladder and put the box up on a high shelf. There, said Frog, now we will not eat any more cookies. But Toad said, we can climb the ladder, take the box down from the shelf, cut the string and open the box. This is true, said Frog. So Frog climbed up the ladder and he took the box down from the shelf and he cut the string and he opened the box and Frog took the box outside and he threw all the cookies out and he shouted in a loud voice, Hey, birds! Here are cookies. Birds came from everywhere. They picked up all of the cookies in their beaks and they flew away. Now we have no more cookies, said Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. You may keep it all, Frog, said Toad. I'm going home now to bake a cake. (laughs) You know, sometimes kids' books are so profound. There's great theology to be found here in Frog and Toad. And how many times have you played with something and thought, I'm not going to do it anymore. No, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. Really, I'm not going to do it anymore. And you do it. And from the frustration you've been experiencing, like you're really frustrated as you keep giving in, and as you fail and fail and fail, it just turns into discouragement and despair. Any of you identify? I mean, the Apostle Paul, he gets so discouraged from the failure that he says, it seems to be a fact of life. In other words, Paul has kind of given up on this seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong in my mind. And notice that it is a mental battle. The battle is going on in your mind, in my mind. I I want to be God's willing servant. But instead, I find myself enslaved to sin. Hey, this is not a pretty picture. Romans 7 is the picture of the defeated, struggling Christian. Finally, Paul falls on his face out of exhaustion. Uh, Sorry, I told you that today's message would be a bit depressing. This is reality. 
Paul's reality and truth be told, your reality and my reality. So what is the way out? What is the cure? Paul outlines the battle plan for victory. He shows us how to win the war that's going on inside of us. This plan is, out, is worked out in chapter 8, Romans 8. That's next week, so it means you've got to come back next week, okay? Because Romans 8 is so awesome, so full of hope, so full of life, energy, and shows us how to get the victory we want over all this junk and darkness in our lives. But, thankfully, Paul doesn't leave us in our depression before he lays it all out in chapter 8. Oh, yeah. Paul has sunk far down. It's, it's left him confused about how he could call himself a Christian and do some of the things he does, act some of the ways he acts, hurt people the way that he hurts people. And just ask New Testament Barnabas if he ever was hurt by Paul and his harsh and demeaning tongue. Oh, yeah. And it was ugly. So Paul, with confusion over why he's doing what he's doing and then he's overwhelmed with guilt and shame and he just keeps doing it anyways and he ends up with compulsions and addictions and that only sends him on a further emotional tailspin of self-condemnation leading him to get more frustrated and discouraged and full of despair. Can you identify? Sure you can. And if you can't, like you can't identify with this at all, chances are you have a mask on that you don't even realize you're wearing. You've let that mask bond permanently to your face so that you don't even know that it's there and friends. That's not a healthy place to be. Truth is your friend. You've you got to embrace the truth about yourself, even though the truth is not always pretty. You've you got to feel the weight of the mess you are in. Don't push it away. Embrace it. It, it. it might be depressing, but if you don't do it, you won't get better. Because look at what Paul says next. This is so awesome. He's down. He's depressed. He's a mess. Look what he says next. This is so good. Who, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice the word who. Paul says who will free me. He doesn't say what. Because ultimately the answer for the battle that is in you is not a principle, it's not a program, it's not a drug. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that these other things are bad. They have their place. But the answer that will truly turn your life around and give you the victory that you so yearn for is Jesus. The answer is that only God can free you. Who will free me from the mess of a life I've got? Paul says, I'm at the end of the rope. I'm about done. And we've just been listening to him as he gets more and more depressed. But as he gets to the end of his rope, he knows there is hope. And this hope, friends, changes everything, like everything. Paul says, I've got it. Thank God, I've got it. And, and he just blurts it out. Thank God, the answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is in what Jesus Christ did for me. The answer is found in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Okay, I really get that for some of you saying Jesus is the answer isn't going to be enough for many of you. You need to know how Jesus is the answer. He is the answer, but how is he the answer? And for that, you've got to come back next week. Next week, we'll look at the things Jesus did for you and me that makes him the answer. Paul explains that to us in further detail in Romans 8 next week. But let me just keep it simple the way the Apostle Paul does at this point. Friends, the answer is Jesus. Whatever it is that's holding you back, whatever bondage you were enslaved to, 
Whatever it is that you keep doing that you don't want to do, Jesus can deliver you. Jesus can set you free. Now, most of you here this morning know Jesus personally. Not all of you. Some of you need to invite Jesus to personally come into your life, to forgive your sin and to lead you, lead you to freedom. Without Jesus living in you, you you don't have the answer. But so many of you have made that decision to follow Jesus, to invite him into your life. Now you need to allow him to fill you to overflowing. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And every day you need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and give you the power to live the life that you really want to live, the power to overcome what's holding you back. Like every day, take time. Say, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need your help. Help me to live right. Help me to live well. Help me to overcome. And let me add, many of you need others to come around you and to pray for you. When others pray for you, your faith is bolstered. When people of faith pray, it's powerful. That's why every week, no matter what I'm speaking on, we have people who are here ready to pray for you. So I just, every week I say, please, please let them pray for you. The Apostle James, the brother of Jesus, says this about prayer. Is there anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of Jesus. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And then community again. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We have a team of people here made righteous by Jesus as he does with all of us. We have a team who serve with the pastors and elders of this church and their prayers offered in faith will deliver you. They can heal you, set you free. It's possible. You you need to let the people that uh, we have asked to pray, to pray for you. Because friends, the answer is Jesus. But so often we need others to pray with us. We, we need people of faith, people made righteous by Jesus to pray with us so that we will experience the power of Jesus. So there you have it. Jesus. Paul says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So I want to take a few minutes to pray that Jesus would free each of us from the sin and the mess that's robbing us of the life that we yearn to live and the life Jesus so wants us to live. And I want you to take the words that I'm going to pray and kind of turn them into your own prayer, your own words. So I'm going to ask you to pray. So would you bow with me and pray? And before we pray, even as your heads are bowed, I want to talk a little bit further. And with your heads bowed, just be a little bit focused about what God might be saying to you to now. Because what I want to say to you All our best intentions are not good enough. The alcoholic who says, I'll never take another drink. The opioid addict who says, I'm done. The violent person who says, I'll never lose my temper again. And the person who's controlled by porn who says, I'm never going to look at it again, is going to fail. How many promises have you made to yourself and broken? A lot, right? The, The only way to win this battle, this battle with your old nature, is to let the Holy Spirit do it. You're never going to experience the victory you yearn for until you get raw, honest about what's going on, just like the Apostle Paul did. Hey, every one of us has skeletons in the closet. The problem is, the skeletons don't stay in the closet, do they? We want to do the right thing, but we end up doing the wrong thing, and it's frustrating. Friends, God has given you a new nature if you've invited him into your life. 
If you haven't done that yet, I urge you, pray right now, invite him to come in, fill you with his spirit, and give you that new nature. Hey, I just know some of you are feeling defeated today. You feel like giving up. My word to you is, that's awesome. It's good. It's time to give up. Stop trying to do it all on your own. Let Jesus be Jesus in your life. He can live through you if you let his spirit empower you with new life. He will lift you up and out of the cycle of sin and mess you are in. So I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Just pray these words with me and just kind of make it your own prayer to God right now. Dear God, just pray with me. You know the confusion and the frustration I'm feeling right now. You know the guilt and the shame that just washes over me. You know the compulsions and addictions and habits I struggle with. I see the war that is going on within me, the war between my old nature and new nature. I admit it. God, I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus. You are the answer. So my prayer, fill me. Will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Will you give me the power to change? And yeah, will you give me a few Christian friends who will support me as I change? And God, I will live for you every day, looking to you for the power to change. Help me. I need your help. And if you've never invited Jesus into your life for the first time, as I said, you don't have the resources yet you need. So to get started, just say to Jesus, you can pray this to Jesus right now. You can take these words of mine and just pray them on your own. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life right now. Live in me. I don't understand it all, but I want to learn to trust you, love you, follow you. And most importantly, let you empower me to change by your Holy Spirit. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.